When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, October 17th. I am feeling refreshed. I am feeling energized. I am feeling so excited about the past three plus days in the tennis world that today is going to be a two part mini break Tuesday as we break down the last 72 plus hours in the pro tennis world. Here on part one, I want to talk about all of the men's action. Of course, that means a particular focus on what we saw unfold in Shanghai. Hoopy Hercots capturing his second career Masters 1000 title. This time it comes in Shanghai, of course, most impressively as he knocks off Andre Rublev 7-6 in the third, in the final. There were so many different things I enjoyed about this performance from, performance, excuse me, leave it in, performance from Hoopy Hercots. Started obviously with the serve, but I don't know if I've ever seen him hit his forehand this cleanly, this decisively over the course of consecutive matches against elite competition. And look, in what has otherwise been a pretty forgettable season for Hoopy Hercots. I mean, prior to this week, what was the first thing that came to your mind? I'll give you all a second to think of it. Was it his run to the title in Marseille? If you're saying that, maybe you should be co-hosting this show with me because you have quite the brain, quite the memory for little nuanced moments of the year, but I think if you're saying that, you're probably lying to yourself. I would argue the most significant moment for Hercots this year probably came in North America. The tight matches he played against Carlos Alcaraz back-to-back in Canada, in Cincinnati. There was some buzz surrounding Hoopy heading into New York for the U.S. Open this year. I mean, again, I think that was probably the most notable moment. But that's kind of grasping at straws. Almost beating someone is hardly something to hang your hat on when you look back at a season. And now, you know, you have to reevaluate everything as Hercots takes this 1,000-level title. He has this cache of points to rest upon as he looks to build off of this momentum to start next year in Australia and in a hardcore stretch where obviously as a former Miami champion, we have seen him have success in that portion of the season. Look, there's a minute and a half right there on Hoopy Hercots. Obviously, I want to talk about what he did particularly well on his run to the title over the course of his final three matches. Got to talk Rublev as well. Is Andre Rublev having the best season of his career in 2023? I think it's a question worth pondering here on today's show, so we will certainly do that, offer some final thoughts on 
Dimitrov, Sepi Korda as they come out of the weekend as semifinalists. I never talked about the Umber, Rublev, and Dimitrov-Yari matches. Maybe some analysis can slip into that. Certainly, we've talked plenty Ugo Umber, Nicolas Yari throughout the course of the season as Yari's in the midst of a career year. Umber has done so well to rebuild himself back to the top of the men's game. Plenty to catch up on. Again, we'll put the final bow on all things Shanghai here on part one of today's shows. I also want to talk about or offer all of you listeners an update up on, excuse me, offer all of you listeners an update on where things stand in the ATP finals race because things have heated up. We still have a couple of weeks left on the calendar. The gaps have narrowed enough that given the level of the events we have left, given the quantity of events we have left, it's a real race for the final few spots in where Turin or wherever they're playing the ATP Tour Finals this year. We'll talk about where things stand. And then last but certainly not least, you guys know my roots. I like to think the reason I now host this show today is because when I was ages 14 through honestly 28 as I am now, so half my life I've been watching ATP Challenger matches. I love watching the Challenger Tour because I don't think the level is that far off from what you see at the very top of the game. I also think the Challenger level is where you see rising stars begin to emerge, and there are just a couple of names I think we all have to keep our eyes on guys who have had some consecutive successes now at the challenger level, have built up their ranking, and are in the stages of their career where perhaps they are ready to make that next jump and, you know, become household names within the top 100 and perhaps to more casual fans, ones who aren't following day in, day out, every level, though I imagine a lot of those fans are the fans who listen to this show. But again, just some names you should keep your eye on. They'll be familiar names to longtime Cracked Rackets listeners. But again, three challenger results I want to bring up here on part one. Of course, part two of today's shows will focus on all things happening on the WTA tour. We saw a bunch of fun events come to their close, certainly to see Chin Wen continue her late season surge. That's exactly the sort of trends you look for uh, in the ending portions of a calendar and, you know, to see Jessica Pagula do her thing. Again, we'll get to all of those storylines on part two here on part one. I want to focus on all of the men's action. Of course, a massive thank you to all of you listeners for your patience. I thoroughly enjoyed my vacation in Boston. Always a pleasure to see my former college roommate Michael as a party get to spend some time with him his girlfriend enjoy the city of Boston Boston is a fantastic city it's particularly for a history nerd like myself and look I'm not going to the dare I say basic uh tourist locations but even walking around Beacon Hill and again the landscape of the city of Boston they just don't build them like that city anymore. And so thoroughly enjoyed my time. Like I said, I'm refreshed. I'm energized. I also needed all of Monday to catch up on all of the action that unfolded over the past couple of days. So I appreciate all of your patience. Thus, we have a two mini break Tuesday for all of you listeners here on part one. Again, I want to focus on the men's action. Part two, focusing on the women's will come a little bit later. Of course, a thank you to our friends at Tennis Point for their support as well. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is C. CR15. 
Let's start with the ATP 1000 level event in Shanghai. And as I alluded to, Hoopy Hercons captures his second career 1000 level title, his second title of the 2023 season. It was an impressive run throughout the course of championship weekend. Started with a three-set victory against Fabian Marozan, and like that was just a very handsy match in the sense that both guys had fantastic feel, both guys comfortable moving forward, both guys comfortable beating the other to the spot, taking time away. I just think Hercots's bigger weapons, his ability to control the tempo at the start of points, ultimately prevailed. He put together a perfect service performance against Sepi Korda in his semifinal match, ultimately a 3-4 and four victory over the American. He didn't face a single break point. He made 75% of his first serves, won 85% of those first serve points. That's the ball game. And making the first serve at the percentage that he did, he just found a rhythm on his plus one forehand that I have never seen Hercots find before. I've never seen him strike his forehand as well as he did against Seppi Korda. And I do think, to some extent, Korda had nothing left in the legs. And as I alluded to last week, Seppi Korda, in making the semifinals here in Shanghai, made semifinals in four of his last five events, now has solidified his spot in the top 30 to end the season in a year where he has been plagued by a bunch of different injuries. It just shows how high quality his level has been when he has been healthy, but there was nothing he could do. He tried to hold his ground on the return of serve. Didn't matter. He would pop up that return even a little bit. Hercots is running around that ball, unloading on inside-out forehands, moving forward whenever he had the opportunity to, just stretching Korda into the outer thirds and then taking time away by knifing off the first volley. It was a routine play. And look, Hercots was coming over the top of his backhand return as well as he always does. That's never been the issue. The issue is when you can pressure his forehand with pace. And look, to some extent, I suppose Sebi Korda did. I mean, he was broken once per set in the match. And, you know, again, for Sebi Korda now to get into that fourth of five semifinals for him to solidify that top 30 spot. I know he's 23 years old sneaky older than you'd think just because it feels like we haven't gotten to see him that much due to the injury so he must still be a little bit younger but I mean again Korda won 74% of his first serve points only faced four break points throughout the course of the match won 29% of his second serve points like things the margin was that thin between these two and Hercots' ability to be aggressive early in the rally particularly off of the return of serve or the plus one forehand he was he dictated in this match who be Hercots' third and holds percentage on the ATP tour this season it makes sense that he's able to dictate at this level when he's landing first serves as he did. But again, it just allowed him to swing that much more freely on the return of serve. Felt like he always had court of stretch. The game he broke in the second set, Hercots down 30-11 that game. Hits a remarkable backhand lob to get to 30-15. An incredible backhand on the line, uh, on the rise, down the line, return winner, I believe, for 30-all. Now all of a sudden you're in a service game. He hits a little chip backhand, short angle that Korda just isn't able to quite move to to hit comfortably. And, you know, again, Hercots wins from there. He can improvise. He can do a little bit of everything at six foot six. Incredibly fluid, sound mover on these hard courts, can absorb pace fair, again, very well on that backhand wing. 
was an impressive victory for Hoopy Kirkhots. And then, look, things got even trickier for him in the final because Andre Rublev played some darn good ball throughout the course of the weekend. And, you know, for Rublev to knock off a guy in Ugo Umber who had beaten him 7-6 in the third the week prior, for him to win that match 2-3, I actually thought that's the best I've seen Andre Rublev play all season. And it was very clear Andre Rublev was far more prepared on the return of serve in Shanghai against Umber than he was in Beijing. I mean, Rublev timed every backhand return perfectly. He just eliminated the slice out wide on the ad side for Umber by stepping into the court, taking that angle away, taking the backhand early on the rise and just beating Umber to the spot down the line. I thought he played with far more pace through Umber's forehand wing. I thought he did a great job of keeping the ball behind Ugo Umber because when he has his momentum going into a shot, you've seen the on-the-run forehands. You know, Ugo Umber can be a shot maker with how beautifully he's capable of striking the ball when he does so cleanly. Rublev just never let him do so. Rublev was so aggressive on the return of serve again, so relentless with his pace. I do think he mixed in a little bit more slice towards that Umber forehand wing as well, just to try and prevent Umber from finding a clean contact point on that wing because the grip can be a little bit funky. I don't want to say Rublev played a perfect match against Ugo Umber, but I do think Game plan-wise and execution-wise, he couldn't have asked for much more. That's about as well as I've seen Andre Rublev play this season. And then to follow it up with the Grigor Dimitrov 7-6-6-3 victory in the semifinals. I mean, look, Andre Rublev, he he was down set point. Like, how many times have you seen a frustrated Andre Rublev who's down set point, 4-5, add out against Grigor Dimitrov, you know, see things slip away in that scenario. And it didn't slip away. What did he do instead? He he hit an ace T uh, to fight off that set point. He saw multiple set point opportunities slip away from him in that first set breaker or breaker. He ultimately takes 9-7. But, you know, what was he able to do? He was able to continue to swing away on that forehand wing and then uh, on his own forehand wing and then what was most particularly impressive was just the discipline. He clearly went in with the game plan. Look, I'm not giving you any forehands, Grigor. Everything's going into that ad side corner. And even when you slice that ball low into my body, even when you don't give me a clear-cut forehand, I'm still only pulling the trigger inside in, attacking your on-the-run forehand when I'm absolutely certain the opening calls for me to do so. It was very disciplined. It was extraordinarily physical. Again, Andre Rublev played really good ball to get to the final. And again, Andre Rublev right now, you look at his record here in 2023, 50 and 20 overall in the season. It's five wins away from a career high total. Rublev won 55 matches in 2021. Now, win percentage wise, his best is going to be 2020, probably always, because he went 41 and 10 and was so outstanding once play resumed post pandemic. But to eclipse 50 wins, A, for a third consecutive season, probably would have been four straight seasons. By the way, he's currently fifth in the points race, and I think he's currently 300 points shy, uh, 280 points shy of officially qualifying for the ATP Tour Finals. But he's currently over 1,000 points clear of eighth place Hogaruna. Rublev's going to make the ATP Tour Finals for a fourth consecutive season. And look, for an Andre Rublev who turns... 26 years old in three days. Just think about that. Age 21 season, 
makes the tour finals. Age 20, uh, excuse me, age 22 season makes the tour finals. Age 23 season makes the tour finals. Age 24 season makes the tour finals. Now in his age 25 season, he has more than likely clinched a fourth consecutive tour finals appearance. He's been one of the eight best players in the world for four consecutive years. And he is only via the age curve entering the peaks of his powers just now. And if that foundation, if we now know the floor for Andre Rublev is, look, he's going to be a top eight player year after year after year after year moving forward. Again, I've talked so frequently over the past few weeks, who is currently the sixth best player in the world? I think pretty firmly that case belongs to Andre Rublev now with the consistency we've seen from him in just every portion of the calendar. Quarterfinals Australia, wins a Monte Carlo title, makes a final in Holland, makes the quarterfinals of Wimbledon, makes the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, now the Shanghai Masters final as well. I think Rublev's answered the question of he's been the sixth best player in 2023, even if his Monte Carlo title isn't maybe valued as highly as, say, a Kasparud final appearance at Roland Garros or, again, a totality of other things, uh, Pass Australian Open final. There are some other cases you can make for other players. I think right now, if you're asking me who do I think has had the sixth best season, I think my answer would be Andre Rublev, but... Again, it's Hubie Hercots who ultimately wins the title in Shanghai and ultimately, again, 7-6 in the third. He wins a 10-8 breaker over Andre Rublev. And I I apologize. Rublev actually fights off the set point, I believe, against Hercots with the ace T. Hercots also, uh, I believe, had another match point where he sent a forehand wide, uh, sent a forehand long after Rublev pressured it with some pace. Um uh, Hercots had another match point where, uh, again, he just, Rublev gets on top of a return of serve. Hercots misfires on the backhand wing. That third set breaker, it was aggressive. It was testy. What was the difference maker? It was Hoopy Hercots' first serve once again. I mean, he won over 80% of his first serve points in four of his six victories last week. And he wins over 80% of his first serve points in the round of 16 quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. He faced two break points against Andre Rublev in that final. Now, yes, got broken in that second set, but that was the only time he got broken all match long. And uh, I'm, I mean, again, that ability to dominate, that ability to dictate, that ability to play on his terms. So it makes Hoopy Hercots, I think, one of the 10 best hardcore players, certainly when he's at his best in the world. And I think the stats back me up pretty clearly on that take, you look for Hoopy at the 1,000 level hard court events over the past couple of seasons. 2021, he goes 15 and four, wins Miami, quarters Canada, round of 16 Cincy, quarterfinals Indian Wells, semifinals Paris. You look for him last year, 11 and five at the 1,000 level hard court events. He makes semifinals Miami, finals Canada, round of 16 Indian Wells, and then the early loss to eventual champion though Holger Runa in. Paris. Now this year he's 14 and 4 and he made a Cincinnati semifinal losing to Alcaraz. He made Canada round of 16 three set loss to Alcaraz. Wins here in Shanghai. Yes, he had a bad sunshine swing but has certainly made up for it again. Just run the numbers on those last 3 years. He's 40 and 13 at 1000 level hard court events. I'll put that record up against anyone not named Djokovic, Alcaraz or Medvedev. 
Now, you want to compare that to the slams? We can do that. Four and two at the hard court majors this year. Lost second round U.S. Open at Draper. Obviously, to lose that match in straight sets was extraordinarily disappointing. But I think his match first quarter in the Australian Open round of 16 was one of the highlights of the event. Now, last year, two and two at the majors and hard courts. Can't have that. 2021, one and two at the hard court majors. Can't have that either. It is a fascinating dichotomy. Because for someone to be 40 and 13 over the last three years on, at 1,000 level events, uh, at Masters 1,000 level events on hard courts, yet seven and six at the majors on hard courts, something's not clicking there. there. There's certainly a discussion to be had, and trying to break that down is maybe a topic we'll do in November, in December, when we have time to go back and look at the film. But I mean, again, the ceiling is abundantly clear for Hubie Hercots at these hardcourt events. And I mean, look, he's still just 26 years old. Again, a guy who ostensibly is entering the peaks of his prime now. We've seen the foundation that's been laid. We've never seen the consistency. What if he puts that consistency together for a full year? Have we seen Hubie Hercots hit his his peak for an entire 11 month stretch I don't or play his best tennis for at least a 6 month stretch consecutively I don't know that we have I'm fascinated to see if the window is still there for him to do so or I mean the window is clearly still there for, for him to do so but I'm fascinated what that ceiling looks like in today's landscape because again it's a 1000 level title for Hercot second of his career that's more than an Andre Rublev I'm pretty sure that's more than a Kasper Ruud I believe it's fewer, certainly, than Medvedev, certainly fewer than Zverev, probably fewer than Tsitsipas as well, but obviously fewer than Alcaraz, more than Yannick Sinner, though. Fascinating. It's a fascinating discussion to be had moving forward, and I think one we will have to because, again, you see the ceiling, the, the serve, that ability to impose his will by moving forward, the fluidity, the creativity he has at that size. He's the epitome of what modern physicality and modern technology allows for on the ATP Tour. You just didn't see Hoopy Hercotts in the 1990s. And I still don't know what his ceiling is, despite covering him closely on this podcast for five-plus years. Still, title run for Hoopy, who again knocks off, in my opinion, and Andre Rublev, who is entering the prime of his career and playing the best tennis of his career. Again, Rublev on track to earn more wins this season than perhaps any other season of his career. Rublev uh, more than likely qualifying for a fourth consecutive Tour Finals appearance and Andre Rublev right now one of nine players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage in terms of the semifinalists we already talked about Sebi Korda but just a reminder again in what has been a pretty injury plagued season Korda now 26 and 14 overall on the years winning 65 percent of his matches you look for him since uh returning really full-time. I'm going to say Winston-Salem just because it'll be the most, uh, or the kindest number, I suppose, to him. But since the start of this four semifinals or further runs in five events, 13 and four stretch since the end of August, not too shabby for the 23-year-old as he looks to build some momentum. Has serious points to defend, by the way, in the month of January. Will be in a position to play whatever events he needs to, to do precisely that. And, you know, again, eye test-wise, striking the ball brilliantly, forehand's real weapon, 
I think he comes over the top of the serve with just more pace in, in the simplest sense, but I think he defends it much better with the plus one game. I think he knows what patterns he wants to get to, and he hits his forehand cross just far more decisively than he ever did. And then, look, how many times do I need to say it? Grigor Dimitrov is in the midst of one of the best seasons of his career. Dimitrov right now also one of the nine players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. Dimitrov, according to Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings, which I will remind you measure who you play and how well what the score is between you and your opponent, not just what round you play that opponent and what the level of the event you're playing is, like the ATP Tour rankings. No, the ELO ratings are more, in my opinion, specific and accurate barometer of the current level of players out on tour. Right now, according to Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings, Grigor Dimitrov's the eighth best player in the world. And given all of the uncertainty outside of the top five, I can't say I thoroughly disagree. Now, you look at the live rankings, Dimitrov, after his run to the semifinals in Shanghai, his run was it Beijing? I forget what event where he was successful earlier. Uh, he's currently sitting at 16 in the live rankings. Dimitrov right now in the points rate, 16th overall as well. I mean, he's playing better than Kasper Ruud right now. He's playing better than Tommy Paul right now. He's playing better than Taylor Fritz right now. He's playing better than Francis Tiafo right now. He has been as consistent as just about anyone down the season's home stretch. And yeah, again, you look at his last... Th- Four events, round of 32, a fantastic four-set match with Zverev at the U.S. Open. Semi-final loss to Zverev again in Chengdu. Quarter-final three-set loss to Sinner in Beijing. But, of course, he beats Runa in the round of 16. Now beats Hachinov, Alcaraz, Yari on his way to the semifinals in Shanghai. He's currently winning 64.3% of his matches. Third-best metric of his career trails, just 2017 and 2014. You look at the hold percentage, 83.4. That's the third-best of his career. Break percentage, 24.2. Third-best percentage of his career, 2.1% above his career average. And you just watch him play. I mean, again, the physicality he injected into the Rublev match, the ability to absorb the first strike of Nicolas Yari, and then, you know, again, the efficiency of his own plus-one game, how well he hits his spots, how confidently he moves forward, how dangerous that on-the-run forehand is. Obviously, Alcaraz has the best on-the-run everything along with Djokovic, but of the rest of the normal human tier, I'd probably put Dimitrov's on-the-run forehand has officially supplanted Roberto Bautista Agut says the hipster's best on-the-run forehand pick. It is that exceptional. I mean, he's playing elite ball right now. He really is. He probably belongs, if you were to ask me, who are the eight best players in the world? If you were to fill out the ideal tour finals field based on how they're playing not right, uh, just right now and not how they've performed over the course of the season, I do think I tend to lean with those tennis abstract rankings and, you know, again, allow a Dimitrov to sneak in, but of course he was your final semi-finalist, and then Umber, Marazan, Yari, Shelton, your quarter finalist. Just again, Nicolas Yari in what's been a career season. The 28-year-old Chilean who just turned 28. Happy belated birthday to him. Shares a birthday with my former roommate Michael Azaparty, October 11th. Up to a new career high, 20 in the live rankings. I mean, again, his weapons, he can just control every match that he plays, or at least he's got himself a shot. He's top 10 in hold percentage. And those weapons, by the way, translate. He's even more effective on clay where that kick serve and that ability to have that much more time to find a first forehand. 
I mean, again, can just hit any opponent off the court. The 24-year-old Marazan, he's up to a new career high, number 61. Shelton, by the way, 21 years old, has won consecutive matches at just three tour-level events this year, under 500 overall in the year. At a new career high, 18 in the live rankings. And yeah, he'll be at the next-gen finals if he wants to play it. And then, again, the race for the top-ranked Frenchman is on. Hugo Humbert right now, 81 points at number 28 in the live rankings behind 24th Adrian Manorino. So just a fun little note, I suppose, for all of us to keep an eye on. But obviously the thing I imagine the majority of us will have the eye our eyes on as we look at these final events of the year. And by the way, tomorrow we'll start looking at this week's events. I know we have, I think, six of them across the ATP WTA Tours. So it's not going to be a two-part mini-break podcast Wednesday as well. Or maybe it will be, I suppose. I'll have to look at the draws, assess accordingly. Today I used, or Monday I used to play catch-up. Tuesday will be the day I use to catch up on what's going on this week. But I'm fascinated to see how all of it impacts the state of the ATP race because it's a real race right now. You look right now via the live-tennis.eu ATP race rankings, which is what I tend to use more than the ATP website, which is probably a mistake. But it's never let me down in the past. I don't think it's going to let me down now. Right now, Andre Rublev, again, 280 points off from solidifying his spot. And there are four players who have already clinched. Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Sinner. We will see them all at the Tour Finals, deservedly so. Rublev right now, 660 points clear of sixth place Stefano Tsitsipas, but perhaps more notably, he's 1,265 points ahead of Taylor Fritz. And I mean, again, even if Fritz were to win the 1,000-level event in Paris, he'd still have to find another 260 points, 265 points to make up that gap. He needs a big run this week in Tokyo or Vienna or, you know, some sort of uh, Vienna. Obviously, again, that that 265 points is only 265 points if he goes on and wins Paris. If he doesn't win Paris, he needs good events at all these sorts of runs to supplant in Andre Rublev. That is why I feel very confident about Rublev's spot at number five. But after that, it is open. And right now, according to uh, the math, obviously there are players who are in play this week, so they still have a shot, but fewer than 25 players eligible by the math for these final four spots. I would final three spots in particular, I would circle in on these names if you're trying to monitor specific guys from Tsitsipas at 36-15, probably to Alex Diemenauer, who's at 25-50 from a points perspective. Again, right now, Tsitsipas is in sixth. He's got 3,615 points. Zverev, seventh, three. 3,415 points. Runa, eighth, 3,110 points. Now, Taylor Fritz is just 100 points behind Holger Runa. And while Fritz had, I mean, he made quarterfinals with the US. Fritz has been fine. I have no criticisms of Taylor Fritz's recent performances. Obviously, Holger Runa has significantly struggled to find any sort of victory since Wimbledon. What, he's won one match, I think, since then, maybe two Fritz, we're on indoor hard courts, and I know, obviously, Holger Runa had a massive end to last season. He's got to defend all those points, by the way, rankings-wise, to end this year. There is some serious pressure on the 20-year-old Dane to refine his form, but indoor hard courts are always going to play well for Taylor Fritz, and there's no reason Fritz 
shouldn't be favored, in my opinion, to catch Runa with that gap being only 100 points. Again, Runa right now, 315 points behind Alex Zverev. Kasparud's got to still be considered in the mix. He's just 195 points behind Holger Runa. And again, has Kasparud had particularly exceptional form of late? No. Has he still been better than Holger Runa has since Wimbledon? Yes. I've seen him make a semifinals, I believe, on indoor hard courts. I've seen him, I think, make the finals of the tour finals on indoor hard courts last year. So I have no doubt about Kasparud's capability of playing good tennis on indoor hard courts. Now, obviously, we'll have to see him do it to believe it. But again, he's fewer than 200 points behind Runa. He has to be considered in the race. And look, if Hubi Hercots is going to keep serving in this fashion, and again, given his 40 and 14 or 40 and 13 record, whatever I said it was, in Masters 1000 events, on hard court since the start of 2021. I mean, he's fewer than 400 points behind Holgaruna right now. The gap is 335 points between him and eighth place Runa. I think he has to be considered a threat. Tommy's about 550 points back, as is Alex Demonauer. They're tied at 2550. I mean, again, they're both top 10 in hard court victories here in the 2023 season. All we have left is hard court tennis. I've seen Demonauer make, I think, a final in Antwerp. I, I mean, Tommy Paul Garua uh, has played plenty. I've seen Tommy Paul play plenty of fine indoor hard court tennis over the course of his career, whether it be at the Challenger or tour levels. They're all fascinating names, right? Again, Tommy. Beat Alcaraz on hard courts in Canada and is a top 10, you know, made the semifinals in Australia, made the quarterfinals at the U.S. Open. Demon Hour makes a final in Canada and I think made quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, if my memory serves me correct. Obviously, Hercots just won a 1,000-level event in Shanghai. They have all been better hard court players than 10th place Kasparud this season or 8th place Holgaruna this season. 9th place Taylor Fritz has been just as good as Tommy and Demon. He just maybe hasn't had the highlight results of late the way those two have. You know, you win the Atlanta 250 title and only the nerds like us are really paying that close of attention. Fritz should have beaten Demon in Canada, was up 5-1 in the first set before losing that set. Again, the nerds remember that. But all of these names belong in the race. And again, if you're a Tommy Paul, if you're an Alex Demonauer, isn't this about as close as you can hope to get to qualifying for a tour finals? It's hard to imagine them perfectly replicate, you know, replicating a season like this unless each of them do take another step forward, which I guess certainly, I mean, and to be honest, I think that's certainly possible. But again, that's a November, December conversation. Obviously, for Hoopy Hercots, 26 years old. You struggle at the majors, and yet you win a 1,000-level event, and now all of a sudden you're back in the mix in this race. What a treat that is for him, for Casper Ruud, who has serious points to defend from his finals appearance last year. It's, again, and for Taylor Fritz, the window is right there. For Holger Runa, the window is right there. If you're Alex Zverev, you've won the Tour Finals, I think, twice. And to get back into that field after the injury he suffered 18 months ago, just to remind everyone that, no, I belong in the conversation amongst the elite of the elite. 
it's a real race for the final. And all of these guys are younger than 27. And why do I bring that up? It means they've got fresh legs. It means they've got every incentive to continue playing. And that's why, by the way, all guys 6 through 13 in the race, they're all playing this week. Zverev already knocked out in Tokyo, but Tsitsipas, Runa, Fritz, Rude, Hercots, Paul, Demonauer, they're all alive in Antwerp, Stockholm, Tokyo, respectively. So we got to keep watching. It's a real race. If you ask me right now, who are my favorites for the final three spots? Tsitsipas and Zverev. Tsitsipas has a big points lead. He would really have to stumble or someone would really have to thrive to supplant him. Well, he would have to stumble and someone would really have to rise. I think Tsitsipas gets one of the spots. I know Zverev just lost in Tokyo. I think he sneaks into one of the spots. The fun pick would be Hurkacz. I'm going to take Fritz to go eighth. I just think Fritz has been sneaky consistent all year long, maybe as consistent as anyone. You look for Taylor Fritz overall this year. How many quarterfinals does Fritz have? He has 13 quarterfinals this year, tied for the most with Daniil Medvedev and Carlos Alcaraz now. Alcaraz is 12-1 and one in those quarterfinals. Medvedev 10-3. Fritz is just 8-5. But I'll take the consistency of Taylor Fritz to sneak into that eighth spot in round out. What would be a pretty fun field. Alcaraz, Djokovic, Medvedev, Sinner, Rublev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Fritz. Had Holgaruna not had this Wimbledon stretch, he should have been the eighth guy. But he's got plenty of time for tour finals in the future. I do think it's going to be Fritz ultimately who sneaks into that eighth spot. That's your upsta- uh, update Excuse me, on where things stand, the state of the ATP race. Now, last but certainly not least here on part one, I want to talk about three challenger results we saw over the course of last weekend. Let's start with highest I mean, they all have high upsides, but let's just start with the absolute highest upside of the group. I think it's the six foot seven. Gab Diallo, who wins his second career challenger title in Bratislava this last weekend. Diallo wins over Dominic Team, Lucas Klein, Martin Dom, and then Joris Delure to ultimately take the title. Also got a good win over former Stanford All-American Arthur Ferry, 5-1 in the first round. That's a result that actually will mean something to Diallo, given he is a former Kentucky All-American as well. Look, the 22-year-old's upside is... Obvious within three seconds of watching him play. His size, that fluidity, the weapons from the ground, the first serve, not only what it is now, but you feel like as he continues to fill out his frame, continues to hit his spots more selectively and more consistently, what that projects to be as well. Again, he just is blessed with the sort of size, speed, weapons, and by the way, brain creativity, like all the improvisational skills you'd like as well, how he see the court, you know, sees the court. He doesn't just attack you with brute power. He will attack you inside in if that's the space you provide. He'll attack you inside out. He'll mix in a rip forehand cross, follow it in behind. Diallo can do a little bit of everything. Certainly we saw that in his Davis Cup victory over Lorenzo Musetti last month, but Again, second challenger title of his career, first of his season with the win. He's up to a new career high, number 129 in the live rankings for the 22-year-old. It's win, not if, because he still is putting all the pieces together. If you ask me, what is Gab Diallo's singular best pattern? You know, obviously it involves the first serve and the plus one, but what is his go-to plus one option? Is it forehand inside in? Is it forehand inside out? 
I don't know. He hits them both pretty well. He takes the backhand line well as also. I think he moves pretty well. Again, for a guy that size, gets out of his corners pretty quickly. I'm in on all things Gab Diallo. Also, one of the nicer kids. Uh, kids, now he's a man, but one of the nicer people I've had the opportunity to cover in my time in college. And again, gets a big tournament title in Bratislava. I think the 22-year-old will crack the top 100 next year. I'm putting that on my list of things I will be predicting entering the 2024 season. I also think, by the way, we're going to be hearing from Martin Dom next year as well. Dom knocked out by Diallo in the semifinals. He's had a little bit of a run of late. The 20-year-old American making quarterfinals in Alicante as a qualifier. Now semifinals here in Bratislava as a qualifier. Gets a win over Maxime Cressy, 4-6, and six, where he's the one who goes unbroken. And look, the 20-year-old lefty just has weapons. Like, you can't fake 6-6. Six, six. Can't fake that serve. You look at the success he's had throughout the course of the season after really struggling compared to relative to expectations because he has been a highly touted junior, but didn't quite have the 2021 or 2022s he was looking for going a combined 50 and 43 overall. This year, he's had the marquee results, 48 and 26 overall on the season. He's made quarterfinals or further at 10 different events that he's played. He's made the finals of three different events, but obviously a first challenger semifinal for him. Martin Dom into the top 275, now new career high, 250. 55 for the 20 year old. He's probably not going to make the next gen finals. He's currently sitting at 33rd, but again, can't teach size, can't teach that sort of pace. And he does have real weapons to just make any opponent uncomfortable. So keep an eye on Martin Dom. And then last, but certainly not least, how about the Svida man? Zachary Svida has now won three of the last four challengers that he's played. He's now won 16 of his last 17 matches overall or 19 of his last 21 if you want to include his run through U.S. Open qualies. The soon-to-be 21-year-old American has just found something new down the home stretch here this season. Now sitting at 138 in the live rankings, a new career high. He is not eliminated from the next-gen finals race. He's currently sitting in 14th overall, but assuming three of the top four, Alcaraz, Runa, Musetti, don't play, you now drag him up to that 11th spot. And, you know, again, by the way, he's currently fewer, or he's just under 100 points, uh, just over 100 points behind Alex Mickelson, who's in seventh. He's fewer than 100 points, 70, no, 69 points behind 11th place Arthur Cazot. And he's won 19 of his last 21 matches. He's won three challenger titles, again, in his last four events. This time in Fairfield, drops just two sets, each in his first two matches. Straight set wins over Holt, Richard, and then rising Stanford sophomore Nishesh Basavaretti uh, in the final. He, he doesn't have the weapons the way Adam does. He doesn't have the weapons the way a Diallo does. But there is an inherent physicality in every point that Zach Svida plays, and he just has a counter to whatever you want to do. You want to trade backhands cross, he'll trade backhands cross. You want to trade forehands cross, he'll trade forehands cross. You leave him a little opening, he'll beat you down the line uh, with either wing. He's added 5 to 10 miles per hour on his first serve and just goes hits his spot so efficiently with his plus one attacks. I mean, look, he was broken twice 
over the course of his final three matches. Fought off all six break points he faced in the semis, five of six in the quarters, fought off one of two break points in what was an hour three-minute victory in the Fairfield final. The Spider-Man has found something. Again, he is playing as well as any player right now at the challenger level in the world, 44-22 and 22 overall uh, on the season. But, you know, again, you look at his hardcourt summer, qualifies in Washington, wins a match there over Max Purcell before getting knocked out by Fritz, qualifies for the U.S. Open, plays a fun four-set match with Francisco Sarundolo, wins carry where he beats top 100 player Rinky Hijikata, top 110 player Alex Mickelson, wins Tiburon where he beats... Adam Walton, who's won a bunch of challenger matches this year, beats Lexi Galarno, who is coming off of a challenger final. Now the win here in Fairfield as well. When again, he had won a challenger title the week prior. Two straight weeks of challenger titles ain't nothing to blink your eye at. Three out of four is ridiculous. 19 out of 22 again. Uh, 19 out of 21, excuse me. Zachary Svida is on fire. Here comes the Spider-Man, and I don't know if his ceiling is top 25, but I know his floor is top 100 because he's just in the fight. Guy's a ball machine. He's just going to make you work. Again, a 19-2 run for Zach Svita since qualifying for the U.S. Open at the end of August. The 20-year-old making a push down the season's home stretch. Exactly what you look for at this portion of the calendar. And, you know, again, shout-out to Nishesh Basavaretti, by the way, a guy who's dealt with a lot of injuries. But you watch his back and you just say, yeah, there's a place for that in the top 100. Again, how healthy he stays, how physical he can become. The tennis has never been the issue for Nishesh. The feel, it's all there. A three-set win over Stevie J in the semis. Obviously, shout out to former UVA All-American Alex Richard, semifinalist as well. Mickelson making the quarterfinals. Top 100 debut is going to have to wait, but of course, he continues to knock on the door. Was a fun event in Fairfield. And then, for us here at Cracked Rackets, I mean, two of my guys over the years, Alex Kovacevic, Nuno Borges going head-to-head in the Shenzhen final. Ultimately, Kovacevic takes the title. He's back up to number 109 in the world. Borges right now currently sitting at 78 in the world. Look, Kovacevic can just plan his terms, his serve, his forehand. Not only are they technically beautiful, they're real weapons for the now 25-year-old American. And he was hitting them confidently. All week long, didn't drop a set on his way to the title. He's playing another Shenzhen event this week. Now, his career high is 101. He's currently sitting at 109. If he wins the challenger title this week, he can make a top 100 debut if a few other things break correctly for him. But look, Kova's making a push. He wants to secure that spot in the Australian Open main draw. If he's top 100 at the end of the year, he will certainly do that for himself, secure that early season paycheck, which is always nice as well. I mean, again, a 6-6 six and six match. It was extraordinarily tight. I, I, it was great shot making, a lot of first serves, a lot of first forehands. It was fun. I think there were what? Yeah, two breaks of serve in this match. Kova faced one break point. Nuno fought off six of the seven he faced. Nuno hit 14 aces in this match. Kova can be conciliatory at times on that first serve. Or not conciliatory, but it's he tries to pick his spots because he wants to be so aggressive with that return of serve, try to beat you with it. So sometimes he will guess incorrectly. But Nuno's back, healthy. Again, Kova striking the forehand confidently. Two really kind guys. Great to see them have big results. Both guys are top 100 players, in my opinion. And, 
you know, again, both guys with college tennis ties as well, always near and dear to our heart here at Crack Rackets. That said, last thing before we wrap up top uh, part one, just an update on your top 25 clubs. Again, who are the players that rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage, according to the Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard? Right now, not surprisingly, three guys rank top 10. Djokovic, Sinner, Alcaraz in both hold and break percentage. Medvedev, top 15 in both. And yeah, that's your pretty clear-cut top four. I don't have any debate with that. I think Zverev belongs in that tier of the conversation. That said, statistically, he finds himself in the top 20 club alongside Andre Rublev, Grigor Dimitrov, Karen Hachinov. And then here's your surprise top 20 guy, Francis Tiafo. Best returning season of his career by far. Tiafo, the last member of the top 20 club, top 25. You have Fritz. You have Rude. You have a Roman Safulin, who I have preached, I think will end the 2024 season in the top 25 of the rankings. And then Jan Leonard Struff, who just hasn't been that healthy, really riding that three-month sample from March to May of this year. He's your last guy in the top 25 club again right now. There are 13 members. That's your list. That's where things stand as we head towards the season's home stretch. And again, tomorrow, I will offer you an update on those aforementioned what it's It's Antwerp, it's Tokyo, it's one other ATP event. I think we have six total tour-level events this week, and obviously part two coming up later today, catching up from vacation. We'll talk about last weekend's weekend's three tour-level finals breakdown where all things stand on the WTA tour right now as well. So be on the lookout for that show later today. Be on the lookout down for a breakdown of this week tomorrow on this podcast, and be on the lookout for more content to drop here at Cracked Rackets. As we know, it's our job to keep you up to date on everything that's happening down the home stretch of the season. Of course, the reason we're able to produce all of that content is because of the tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out to him. Shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.